we know as the Jehovah Witness. And of course, he uh, came along and boasted uh, that uh, that uh, the faith of Jehovah Witnesses, which began in the 1800s, Charles Taz Russell, and he claimed to be a prophet of God and um, came up with a date of which Jesus Christ was supposed to return. And a lot of the Russellites, as they were called, they were called Russellites before they were called Jehovah Witness. Just give you a little history on some of these denominations. They were called Russellites. And uh, he was out proclaiming that Jesus Christ was supposed to come back at a certain time. People went out, sold all their possessions and, and quit their jobs. And of course, waited for the Lord. And the Lord did not have the date on his calendar to return that they had. Can we say amen? So the Lord did not come. And of course, he was considered to be a false prophet, but you still did have some that uh, nevertheless after that followed him. Then Judge Roger Rutherford, Judge Rutherford took over as a leader of the Jehovah Witness, and he came up with a date that Jesus Christ was supposed to come back. And I think he had the date 1913, 1917, somewhere around there. And of course, they went out and sold and uh, all their stuff, quit their jobs and waited for the Lord to come. Then he come out and said that y'all missed it. He already came and left. But be that as it may, all of these denominations were started by man. Of course, John Wesley, who formed the Wesleyan faith as we know as the Methodist faith, and Martin Luther, who formed Lutheranism. Um, John Smith, who was one of the contributors to the start of the Baptist faith. Uh, then you have the Presbyterians, Episcopalians, and so on and so forth. So all of these uh, denominations had their beginning and had their start. Uh, but the apostolic faith began with Jesus Christ and handed down to his apostles. And we will show you by the scripture how we received, how we got the apostolic doctrine uh, as we know it today. So the difference with us is that it came straight from God. And Jesus will tell us in the seventh chapter of St. John when we get there that the doctrine that he got, that he was teaching, he was not his, he got it from God. And of course, he was speaking as a man at that point because Jesus was both human and divine. Is that right? He was both God and man. And there were times where he spoke as a man when he had reference to his father. Uh, and then there were times that he spoke as the father, as he, he spoke as God. And of course, uh, this is what he had. And he expresses to us where his doctrine came from. Now, of course, uh, there was a man by the name of Muhammad that began uh, Islam. And I believe that was in the 600s or somewhere around there. And of course, he was uh, in conflict with the Catholic Church. And of course, he believed as he proclaimed in one God. So he said he believed and they called him Allah. And of course, he would travel from city to city, conquering each city, um, uh, 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 demanding them uh, by the edge of his sword to proclaim the prayer and allegiance to Allah or die. And of course, many did uh, join him called the, I believe they called them the Mohammedans at that time. And this is basically how Islam started. Now, a lot of black folk those that are black supremacists, as we call them, would try to make you think that Islam began 
uh, with the black folk, and there is no truth to that whatsoever. It began uh, by this so-called prophet Muhammad. And um, when I started working in the prison, first of all, before I started working in the prison, I had about 15 inmates that I would go in on a regular basis and teach Bible class to. And I remember one of the first times I went, uh, one of them challenged me concerning Islam. And I had not really heard of Islam, or I've heard of it, but I did not understand it because I hadn't done the research on it. And when I went in there, he tore me to pieces. <laughs> and so I went back and did all my homework and got me a Quran and read the Quran. And uh, next time I went back there uh, after class, I was told, do not return. Praise the Lord. But as it may, um, there's a lot of those inmates that are locked up claiming to be Islamic, and they're not Islamic. They're just black supremacist radicals, because if you are an Islamic or a follower of Islam, there is one thing that you're supposed to do before you die, and that is you're supposed to make a trip to Mecca. And, uh, and I would tell them, uh, you're not a true Islamic because you can't get to Mecca because all your days is going to be spent in this Mecca behind bars. And so uh, uh, we, there was some, uh, uh, some uh, tensions there that I have to take the blame for because I created it. Can we say amen? But be that as it may, um, there is no true Islamics in America because most of them, I shouldn't say there's no true, but many of them are not true followers because first of all, they don't know. Did you know that a, a Muslim is supposed to pray seven times a day, I believe it is? And they're supposed to face the east. And I remember I was doing my rounds and one of the inmates had his uh, Islamic rug on the ground and, and down there praying and I had to stop him and say, uh, the east is this way. You're praying the wrong direction, brother. So they don't even know what they're even doing or talking about. But be that as it may, all of these religions, denominations, started by man. Now, I want you to understand that there is a difference between an apostolic pastor than all of the other pastors that are out there. Most pastors are religious leaders. There's a difference between a religious leader and a pastor, apostolic pastor. See, Joel Osteen is a religious leader, okay? Uh, he does not deal with sin, and I'm not trying to uh, cast any kind of aspersion on him. I'm just letting you know the category that many of these people are in, that just because they have tens of thousands of people following them doesn't mean that they're of God, because there's going to be tens of thousands of people in the lake of fire. And we know they're not right going there. Can we say amen? But you have a lot of these people on television that have these big ministries that many of our people follow. They are not shepherds of God. They are religious leaders. Then you have some that are religious activists. And these are the Al Sharptons and, and Jesse Jackson and, and all these other type of people. And they're better off doing their speeches because they have negative 500% anointing when they try to get up and preach because they don't have the Holy Ghost. But they are religious activists. Then there is those that God has called, prepared, and sent, according to the scripture. Can we say amen? 
Then, of course, you have some charlatans out there. When we say charlatans, these are those that claim to be able to perform all these miracles. You buy this oil and put it on your fingernails. It's going to grow or your hair is going to grow or this blood of Jesus cloth that you wear it. And one woman was praying, uh, uh, selling a prayer shawl. I believe it was Juanita Bynum on the TV praying this this had this prayer shawl and she was sweating and, and on the broadcast and laying all on the prayer shawl. I said, well, anybody that buy that, they got to wash it first. And that she's supposed to, this prayer shawl, she laid on this prayer shawl uh, and all this other kind of stones from the mines of Solomon. All that stuff doesn't make any sense. These are charlatans. Charlatans are pretenders. People that pretend to be something when they're actually nothing. Because, number one, they don't have salvation. Can we say amen? And how can you be a minister of God that's supposed to preach salvation when you don't have salvation? You can't preach what you don't have. Praise the Lord. So a lot of the ones that you see on television with the big ministries are religious leaders. They don't deal with sin. They don't sit down and counsel. They don't baptize. They don't pray. They don't work with people to get the Holy Ghost. They don't go to the hospital and pray for you. They are religious leaders, and there's a big difference. So the nominal church promotes religious leaders. God has shepherds or under-shepherds because he's the chief shepherd, and that would mean then that every other pastor, every pastor then is an under-shepherd, and then even among us, there's some issues. Can we say amen? Because a lot of us follow the religious leaders. And because of the size of their churches and their big ministries, they follow them. And because they want what they have. Well, God did not call us to get what they have. He called us to preach the gospel and to save them that would believe and get us ready for glory. Can we say amen? So what we're going to deal with in these series of Bible classes uh, is uh, how we got the apostolic doctrine. Now, uh, what is doctrine? Let's go to Proverbs chapter 4. And I know we dealt with this uh, before time, but we need to deal with this as we're going to teach this subject uh, in its completion. What is doctrine? Now, in Proverbs chapter 4. Now, if you look in the dictionary, you'll find that doctrine is defined as a teaching established to be taught. All right, and we have no problem with that, but we wanna get a little deeper into it and get what God says doctrine is. All right, and of course, these are the words of King Solomon at this time, and of course, he is um, speaking as the wisdom of God uh, dictates to him. And we're going to pick it up, verse 1, and read and deal with verses number 1 and 2. All right, if you have it, can you say amen? All right, let's read. Hear ye, children, the instruction of a father, and attend to know what? Understanding. Now, I want you to understand that in Bible days, the father had three responsibilities toward his son. Three responsibilities. Number one, he was to circumcise him because that was the covenant that God made with Abraham. Circumcision. He was to circumcise his son when he was eight days old. Number two, he was to teach him a trade so that he would be able to 
provide for himself and for his family. And then the third responsibility was he was to find him a wife. Now, fathers today don't even do that. They most, for the most part, disappear from the child's life. Is that right? And leave the young lady uh, uh, with the child. And then unfortunately, the young lady does not have enough sense. She allows other men to come. And before you know it, she has a whole harem of children in the house and no man, no father anywhere around. And then, of course, that's why uh, in Louisville, uh, last statistic I saw last year, 40,000 grandparents are taking care of their grandchildren. Why is that? Because somebody has failed along the way. Can we say amen? And I knew of a young lady uh, that I went to high school with. She had six kids. And she never did graduate from high school. See, anytime you have a child out of wedlock, you set yourself back 18 years. Why is that? Because you got to raise that child. Y'all got quiet on me, isn't it? Now, it's really something, because this is not in my notes. I guess the Lord just <laughs> bring it to me. Uh, set yourself back. That's why young ladies need to keep themselves. Is that right? Because men are dogs by nature. Predators. And they generally want one thing. And that one thing is that which is precious to you. So if you're a virgin, you keep your virginity. Can we say amen? And save yourself till you get married because there have been many couples that have been interviewed that were having relations before they got married and then got married and wished that they had saved themselves because when they were promiscuous before they got married, they lost something in the marriage. And then most of the marriages don't survive after that because if you start out wrong, you're going to what? End up wrong, you know. So beware of those predators out there because men are dogs. <laughs> now, I ain't no dog. I'm saved. I got one wife. Can we say amen? I was a virgin when I got married, so I ain't no dog. But there are some of them out there that are no good. Praise the Lord. Now, if you're dating somebody and, uh, or interested in dating somebody and you want to know uh, about them, let me know. I have good experience, praise the Lord, in dealing with all kinds of men. First of all, I'm a man, and I have all kinds of experience in it. But be that as it may, um, our children today would be in a better position if they would heed the instructions of who? Of a father. And the book of Proverbs is all about instruction. The summary of the book of Proverbs is centered around him giving us advice to save us from trouble that he experienced. That's what Proverbs is all about. To give us information to help us with discretion, to make sound decisions when it comes to the things of life. Because he experienced all these things. On one occasion, Solomon said, I held myself, I didn't hold myself back from any pleasure or any joy. But the advice that he gives, because he did that, is that too much of anything is not good. That you need to have discretion. 
And the wisdom and knowledge of God from his word is what gives you the ability to make sound decisions. Can we say amen? All right, so he says, hear ye children, the instruction of a father, and attend to know understanding. To attend to know understanding. You don't know it of yourself because you are who you are. You have to learn things, and in order to learn them, you have to be what? Taught. Now, you're going to be taught one way or another. If you don't want to listen to your parents or your grandparents, you're going to learn one way or another. Is that right? If you, if, if, if you don't listen and learn the value of money from your parents or from your grandparents, you're going to learn the hard way. You know, because we don't know automatically just because we are who we are. We learn by experience. And there are some things you can avoid if you take sound advice. The Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there's what? Safety. That means you are safe to make the right decision. Now, you can't have too many counselors. Because you get too many minds in there and everybody says something different and then you wind up being confused. Can we say amen? But if we would heed instruction and today we're in a day to where many are not listening to instructions. Now, uh, I have a lot of young people that follow me. A lot of young people. I think the youngest that I know of that follows me on a regular basis is 11 years old. And, and, I, and I wondered about that, so I was asking uh, some people about that, and they were saying the reason why is because you answer their questions. See, young people have a lot of questions. Is that right? Uh, it's different in our day when our parents told us to do something, and we said, why? How many of y'all asked that question and got the, the response, because I said so? So all of y'all graduated from the because I said so university. Is that right? But today children want to know all the details. Why? Why? Well, what if? Well, why not? You know, praise the Lord. Uh, and, 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 and of course, it, it, in this uh, church, we try to answer the questions. We want to tell you the why behind things why things are the way that they are. God does that, doesn't he? God tells us why we have to be saved. Is that right? Because we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And if we don't get saved, we go into the lake of fire. Is that right? Isn't that what God tells us? Well, why do I got to go to the lake of fire, Lord, if I don't get saved? Because you were born with the Adamic nature. You were born in sin. And now you weren't born a sinner but you were born in sin. Those are two different things. But once that fallen nature began to assert itself, then you became a sinner. Well, when did that nature begin to assert itself? How many of you all have had children, and as, they, as babies, they were crying like somebody was choking them, and you go and pick them up, and they look at you and smile? You know what that child just did? That child, that, baby, that little precious baby, smiling at you, slobbering with no teeth, and just seeing she and all go, it's just lying. Just lie to you. 
Now, they weren't aware that they were lying, but that was the fallen nature that was beginning to assert itself. And so we were born in sin, but we became sinners when our nature began to assert itself. Can we say amen? And so God answers our questions. Now, uh, someone asked me, is it wrong to question God? There's nothing wrong with asking God questions, but there's a difference between tempting and challenging God. Those are two different things. Is that right? You know, so uh, because God wants us to know. So it's not wrong to question him, uh, but it's different if you question him in a way of defiance or tempting him or challenging him, then that's wrong. And we all know how that is. So you tell your child, I need you to do this. They put their hands on their hip. Why do I got to do that? Well, in my case, once you got up off the floor, it didn't matter why. Can we say amen? Because the back of your neck felt like it was broke. And you went on in there limping. And, and, and I think my mama kicked me one time when I was on the ground uh, on top of it. And I got up and limped and did what she told me to do. Y'all know nothing about that, do y'all? Some of y'all get time out, don't you? Some of y'all should get time out. The knockout was the time out. Because once you woke up, you still had, y'all ain't hearing me tonight, you still had, <laughs> can we say amen? That was the timeout. The timeout is when you woke up and got up and did what mama told you to do. All right. Well, um, he the instruction of the father, tend to no understanding. Verse two, why does he want us? Now he answers the question. Why should we hear the instruction of a father? Why should we attend to no understanding? Verse two, for I give you good doctrine forsake ye not so doctrine is law it's the law of God now in the Old Testament it was the Mosaic law the law of Moses but today according to the book of James we're under the royal law and that law is the law for the church so doctrine is the law of God and the law of God is doctrine now as I gave you this illustration before because I heard Bishop Golder give this illustration I thought it was a phenomenal illustration Doctrine to the word of God is like your skeletal structure is to your body. And if you ever studied skeletal structure, which I have after I heard that, um, you will find that the reason why your hand, feet, legs, arms are in the shape that they're in is because of the skeletal structure that your body is built upon. Now, your skeletal structure never changes its shape for the most part. Your hand generally stays like a hand. Is that right? Your feet generally stays like a feet. Your feet don't turn into your hand and your hand don't turn into your feet. Is that right? It generally stays the same shape. Now, of course, they wear out, of course. But for the most part, your skeletal structure stays the same. Now, um, I remember Barry Bonds was hitting all those home runs. Y'all remember Barry Bonds? Well, he was on those steroids. And how they knew one of the signs that he was on the steroids is that his head got bigger. You see, steroids increases the size of your head and gives you that bulk look. It changes the um, form of your body. But when we talk about the skeletal structure, your skull stays the same size. The, 
bones in your hands, your fingers stays the same shape for the most part because of skeletal structure. It keeps the body in its proper place and shape. Well, the doctrine of God is like our skeletal structure. The doctrine of God keeps the things of the word of God in its place and it does not change. For example, one of the doctrines of the Bible is repentance, all right? And doctrine to repentance simply is that repentance is the same all the time. Repentance never changes from being repentance. It always deals with turning away from sin. No matter what dispensation you're in, no matter what uh, period of time you're in in the Bible, repentance, doctrine keeps repentance as repentance. Doctrine keeps repentance in the definition of turning away and going in the opposite direction that you were going in before. See, that is an example of what doctrine. Doctrine keeps uh, holiness straight. Doctrine reveals to you what holiness is. Holiness never changes. It always stays the same. The Bible said it was holiness in the Old Testament. God is holy. He never changes. Is that right? Times may change, people may change, but the doctrine of holiness is what keeps it as it is. It never changes. God, what God is, God is a spirit. The doctrine of God shows us what God is. He never changes. You see, if we didn't have our skeletal structure, our bodies would be like a jellyfish. We'd just be a mess. No kind of a form, no kind of a shape at all. But doctrine in the scriptures holds the word of God together and in its place. And it makes the things of God what they are and they don't change. See, God has always wanted holiness, but he couldn't get it in the Old Testament. But now he's getting it now through his church. It wasn't that in the Old Testament God never wanted holiness. That's part of his doctrine. He's always wanted holiness, and he will always want holiness, and he will get holiness because he's holy. That will never change. So when it talks about the doctrines of the Bible, they never change. You follow what we're saying? Can we say amen? So that's what doctrine does uh, uh, for the word of God. Uh, it is the law of God, you know. Uh, we talk about the law of gravity. You can't change the law of gravity. The law of gravity is what it is. Now you can try to uh, manipulate the environment of it, but you would have to manipulate the environment of it because the fact that you have to manipulate the environment of it is a testament that it never changes. It's always the same. Y'all find what we're saying? So that's what doctrine is in the word of God. It's the law of God. Whatever God's law says, that's it. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled where? In heaven. And just because people change and times change, God's law, God himself never changes. He never changed. Well, somebody may say, well, pastor, um, there's seven dispensations in the Bible, uh, and each dispensation is different. Well, that's true. But what you don't realize is that as each dispensation progresses, 
it revealed more and more about God that the previous dispensation had no knowledge of. You see, under the dispensation of the law and the prophets before uh, the New Testament church began, they knew nothing about receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That was not for them. But now that we are in the dispensation of grace, the church age, God has revealed more of himself in this dispensation, and we have the baptism of the Holy Ghost that it may abide with us for how long? So God reveals certain elements of himself as the dispensation progresses. Now we are in the dispensation, as one Bible writer said, I believe it was Paul, where mercy rejoices against judgment. That is, God in this dispensation has established an accepted time. He's established a day of salvation where men can experience his mercy and come to him for salvation. But when this dispensation is over, God's going to reveal another element of himself in the tribulation period when he is manifested as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, it's the same God. Can we say amen? The same God. But there's so many elements of himself that as the dispensation moves along, he reveals more and more of himself. And this is going to continue, your Bible says, that in the ages to come, he's going to be revealing more and more of himself as we move from time to the ages to come, which is eternity. We will be learning more and more about God. He will re be revealing more and more of himself that we as a glorified people will continue to learn about him. Can we say amen? Isn't that something? Well, let's go to Proverbs chapter 28. Is that what I want next? I said Proverbs 28, didn't I? I shouldn't have said that. Uh, let me see. Am I having an apostolic senior moment? Um, let me see here. I got about, I got about 25 scriptures here, y'all, so y'all got to bear with me for a minute. I was supposed to have them in order. All right. Isaiah 28. Isaiah chapter 28. Doctrine. We're talking about the doctrine. How did we get the apostolic doctrine? Thank you, Pamela. I should have just looked up there on the screen. She's got my back up there. Isaiah chapter 28. Uh, and we're just going to read verse 9. Um, and, of course, we'll just read verse 9 uh, there. All right, Proverbs 28 and verse 9. All right, let's read. Whom shall he teach knowledge? That's the first question. All right. And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? So I want you to know that the knowledge of God must be taught. We don't automatically know because we have intelligence and understanding. The things of God have got to be taught to us. Now, the world knows nothing about God. Nothing. And those that don't have the Holy Ghost and have not been baptized in Jesus' name, they don't know about God either. They're just talking to you based upon what they learned in some seminary by men that don't have the Holy Ghost. So he asks a question, whom shall he teach knowledge? God doesn't just give his knowledge to just anybody. Is that right? How many disciples did Jesus originally choose? 
notice the key word, originally. 72. See, I said originally, Deacon Charles, praise the Lord. 72. But then as he began to relay to them the price that they're going to have to pay, 60 of them walked away, remember? And then he looked at the 12 and said, will you also go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of what? Eternal life. So he dealt with the 12, right? And one of them was the devil, Judas, is that right? Trying to kill him. Well, they received knowledge that the other folk didn't get. And that's how God is. All right? That's why he asked the question, whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to what? Understand doctrine. Then he's going to answer that question. Let's read. Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn what? Now, that has to do with the babes in Christ. So, when a person gets saved, they are fed the milk of God's word, but then as they progress to the point to where now they're able to understand and get some knowledge concerning doctrine. Doctrine. He doesn't just give it to anybody. He only gives it to those who have been weaned from the milk and what? drawn from the breast. Now, I gave you this example before. Many, many years ago in Grandma's day and Great-Grandma's day, there were no supermarkets and there were no Gerber foods. Do y'all, any of y'all remember those times? And so how did the child get his first taste of solid food? <laughs> oh, we in the pandemic age right now, aren't we? See how times change? I think that's how my wife did it at first. Did you do it like that, honey, for the kids? She put the food in her mouth, the meat, chewed it up. Now, all of them are going to say, I don't remember that. <laughs> Thoroughly masticated it, mixed it with saliva, put it in the child's mouth, and the child swallowed. Now, that probably happened to you. You just don't remember all the time when you was a kid, you just walk up something, see something on the ground, you pick it up, put it in your mouth. <laughs> but that's how they did it back in those days because there were no supermarkets and there were no Gerbers. Now, I never known of any child to get sick. Any of y'all ever known of any child? Sister Perry, any of your kids got sick? They ain't got sick. <laughs> now, my wife did that. She wouldn't allow me to do it because I probably would have been trying to put goat and deer and all in their mouth and all this other kind of stuff. But that's how they did it back in those days. They got their first taste of solid foods when the mother discerned that it was what? Time. Can we say amen? And chewed it up. Well, we had such a difficult time. Uh, we were so poor. Uh, we were so poor that all we ate a lot of times was rice, um, chicken. And we couldn't afford the regular potatoes so we got uh what was that instant potatoes we had so much chicken and ate chicken so much that i remember aaron was asked was asking can he have some more chicken and we was eating pork chops that night <laughs> poor baby he didn't know the he didn't know the difference between chicken and pork chops. 
And I don't think he eat pork chops anymore today, but he sure loved chicken. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And then I remember uh, things progressed a little bit, and I was in the grocery store, and I saw this 50-pound bag of potatoes. Y'all remember those big old potatoes, 50-pound 50, 50 bag? It was on sale, and I bought that home, and my wife said, oh, we got some uh, potatoes. That was the end of the instant. All of the instant was thrown out the cupboard after that because we had finally some real potatoes. You know. But the point is that the mother knew when it was time, didn't you mothers? Now, of course, we try to feed them with a big old piece of steak and they tell her, get that away from there. You don't know what you're doing. But the mothers knew, all right? Now, you know, we never got sick and you didn't get sick. And when you was a child walking around picking up pennies and swallowing them, you didn't get sick. Swallowing gum and then when you go to the restroom it comes out looking the same. You know you end up in swallowing that, huh? <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. Um, but these are the ones that get the knowledge and understanding. Those that he has weaned from the milk and what? Drawn from the press. Now, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse number 2. This is a prophecy of the doctrine of God coming and he's going to tell us how it's going to come. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse number 2. All right, Deuteronomy 32 and 2. Of course, this is Moses rehearsing the law to the children of those individuals that came out of Egypt. He has pastored them now for 40 years, and he's about to die. And the book of Deuteronomy has to do with him rehearsing to the children uh, that Joshua would take into the promised land the happenings and the actions of God over a 40-year period of 40 years ago. All right, so let's pick it up in verse number two. Let's read. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. Now, we know how the rain falls. Is that right? Doctrine shall drop as the rain. Let's read. My speech shall distill as the dew as the small rain upon the tender herb and as the showers upon the grass. This is how God's doctrine came. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's simply this. The Bible says that we are all grass. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall what? Stand forever. So when God's doctrine comes, it comes as rain. Now, when you think of rain, and we're supposed to be getting a lot of rain. I've been praying for God to send seven straight days of torrentous rain so these folk can go somewhere and sit down. That's what I've been, <laughs> I'm serious, that's what, I've been, that's what I've been praying. And I think we got three straight days coming, don't we? I saw the news. I said, Lord, rain them out. They're all out there sweating, carrying on. They need to be washed. They won't get baptized, so you wash them from heaven. That's what I've been praying. Uh, because our police officers, they need some relief. Is that right? Everybody needs, everybody needs to sit back and chill sometime. They, they need some help. So I'm asking the Lord, send, send, send you, send down, uh, what's that song? Let it rain. Yeah. Well, when you think about rain, it comes down and what does it do? It 
it, it helps the crops, is that right, to grow? Crops can't grow without rain, is that right? It uh, helps um, the flowers to grow. It actually washes the sky. There's benefits from the rain. It refreshes. It assists in growth, even the dew outside when you go out in the morning and the dew is out there. The water is doing more than just falling from heaven. When it hits the surfaces that it needs to hit, it is doing a lot of things. When I couldn't afford to get my car washed a lot of times, when it would rain and when it got done rain, I get out and get my um, cloth and go over my car. And my car looked just as clean as if it went to a car wash. So these are the things that rain does. Well, rain is like the doctrine of God. When you get the doctrine, it nourishes you so that you can grow. Like the rain greens the grass, the doctrine of God puts the right color on you. You look the way God wants you to look when you embrace his doctrine. It's like the rain that comes down. The rain, we can't survive without the rain. You can't survive without the doctrine of God. Can we say amen? And his speech, he says, is like the dew, the word of God. We cannot survive without the word of God. When the word of God comes to us, it is designed to give us faith. Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. But you just don't just hear it. You have to also do it. Can we say amen? And when you are doing that, when the rain is coming, when the doctrine of God is coming, when the teaching, the word of God is coming, it's doing something within you. And sometimes you can be in Bible class and you can feel the word washing you. Oh, am I, am I by myself or do you know what I'm talking about? There were times when um, I was working second shift and I would, on my day off, I which would be a church night, I go to church and sit in Bible class and my pastor was teaching. And I could actually feel my mind being centered back into the right place that God would have it to be. Because a lot of times we face the devil throughout the day, we don't even realize it. You see a handsome guy, hair is what we used to say in back in Charles' day, fried, dyed, and laid to the side with the green eyes. He's as dark as this suit, but his eyes are green. And, he, and you don't realize that it was the devil. It was the dark-skinned, green-eyed devil. Or the young lady with the uh, high yellow skin and silky uh, Indian-type hair. <sighs> I'm trying to paint a picture for y'all. I'm getting pretty graphic, am I? Praise the Lord. And brothers, we didn't realize that that was the she-devil. Did you know there's a movie called She-Devil? Did you ever see that? You better not be watching that. I ain't watched it. And a lot, of, a lot of times we're facing those things or we're facing other things on our job. Co-workers getting on your nerves, challenging you. The devil messing, putting your thoughts in your mind. Is that right? 
the world pulling on you, those old urges trying to resurface, a lot of times that could take a toll on you. But then when you come to the house of God, that word is like the rain coming down when the grass has been beat up all winter long and then the springtime comes, that rain comes down, God is putting you back center. Can we say amen? That's what doctrine is supposed to do. And that's why God gave it to us. Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. And verse 10 and 11. Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11. All right. 55, verse 10 and 11. I'm trying to get through these first 13 scriptures tonight so that we can be able to finish the subject up next week if the Lord tarries. All right. Verse 10 and 11. Brothers and sisters, let's read it. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither. Now, we never see the rain and the snow go back up, do we? I remember we had a sister that got saved in that church. She was from Uganda. And uh, up in Bay City, it gets cold up in Bay City. Boy, that cold up there is different from any cold anywhere. The, the hawk up there is treacherous. That's what we used to call the, 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 the blowing of the cold air, the hawk. I don't know why they call it that, but it sure felt like some hawk was biting you all over. And it was snowing, and she asked my wife, why is trash falling from the sky? she never seen snow. But one thing about the rain and the snow, they don't go back up, do they? Do it, does it? No, all right. He says, if as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, let's read, but watereth the earth and maketh bring forth and what? Bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to what? Now the word of God is that same way. You know, the word of God is designed to cause you to bring forth and bud. What is that? To bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Because you bring yourself to the house of God, seeking bread, and God meets you here when you come. It's like the rain that comes down and brings forth in the earth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He compares that to his word. Verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto. I had to learn that as a young pastor because I was very discouraged that nobody was getting saved as I felt that they should get saved. And I felt maybe I was not doing what I'm supposed to be doing and maybe I'm not effectively preaching and teaching the word. And then God opened the scripture up to me. Just because I don't get the results that I'm looking for, his word will never return unto him. What? Sometimes his word is doing one or two things. It's drawing people that would believe it and driving folk away that will not believe it. 
See, just like when we got in, up in the sermon, and in the sermon I mentioned about not supporting Black Lives Matter, and one of the brothers has been going here a long time, got mad and got up and started staring at me, and I paused and stared right back at him. If I was in the prison, I'd be like, what you going to do? But I wasn't in the prison. I was in the pulpit. Can we say amen? The word drove him out. Because I said, it's not that black lives matter. Jesus matters. Heaven matters. Can we say amen? You know, but that's what the word of God does. So just because when you witness to somebody and they reject what you trying to witness to them about, the word is still working. What did it do? It just drove them out. Because there's only two responses to the word of God. You either believe it or you don't. You either accept it or you reject it. And we are in the age where most people are going to reject it. So therefore, the word of God can be a witness for you if you make it or a witness against you if you don't make it. So it is always doing what it's supposed to do. It might not do what we want it to do because when we witness, we want everybody to accept and everybody to get saved, but that's not going to be. I remember my pastor prophesied to me on two different occasions, and he was right on the spot. The first time, when just at the beginning of my ministry, he told me what was going to happen to me during the first, that I realized later on, the first 18 years of my ministry. Only time I ever heard him really prophesied to me. Then, the second time he prophesied to me is when I got on radio in Bay City. He said, don't expect folk to get saved for you on the radio because sometimes the word of God is designed to be a witness against folk and you know he was right no one got saved when I was on the radio for five years now I remember there was a group of young people that were part of the United Pentecostal churches in the city and a group of them came over to our house because we live next door to the church because they said they've been listening to me for years and their pastor said they could not come. So they snuck away and came over to visit me. So I, I said, now why is that brother doing that to y'all? We've been friends for 20 some years. So I went over to visit him in his church. He's apostolic. And, um, some of the young people came up to me. One mother came up to me and said, my son, when we are out of service, he said, mom, we've got to hurry up. Bishop, not Bishop, Pastor Johnson is about to come on and I don't want to miss it. I said, that was really something. So they had a guest minister there and I went up there and, and praise the Lord with, with the pastor. His name was Mike, called him Brother Mike. I said, God bless you, Brother Mike, how you doing? He said, fine. This is Reverend so-and-so, he's our speaker. This is one of the PAW pastors. <laughs> you know, because they don't believe we're saved. Some of them don't believe we're saved. Now I'm not saying that to speak disrespect on them. I'm just telling you what happened to me. So sometimes when we are witnessing, to our family members, or preaching, or teaching, sometimes everybody's not going to accept. As a matter of fact, most folk are not going to accept. That's because the word is designed to be a witness against them. Can we say amen? 
So I had learned the scripture while I was pastoring. I knew it already, but I had to learn it. You ever know some scriptures and then you have to experience it and really learn it? Has that ever happened to you? Happens to you a lot when you're a pastor, you know. So I had to understand and realize that just because I'm not getting the result that I'm looking for or desiring, it's doing something. God's word is doing something. It will never come back to him, what? Void. It'll either be a witness for those that make it or against those that will not make it. But it is always doing something. Now, what is doctrine supposed to do for us? Let's go to first Tim- Second Timothy chapter 3. And this is just the beginning of our subject. We're going to get into the meaty, meaty part of it, probably, Lord willing, on Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, next Wednesday, if the Lord tarry. Second Timothy chapter 3, and verse 14 through 17. Yeah, we might finish these tonight. I got about 25 minutes. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 14 through 17 now of course this is Bishop Timothy Paul is writing to Bishop Timothy and Timothy when Paul met him he was already saved already a minister highly recommended in two different cities and knew the scripture better than you and I would ever hope to learn them in a lifetime of study as a Jewish boy but even though he was taught the scriptures by his mother Lois and his grandmother Eunice or Eunice as they call it, pronounced it back in those days He didn't know what they meant. He knew the scriptures, but he didn't know what they meant. There's a whole lot of people that know the Bible, but they don't know what it means. You ever ran across those type of people? My father used to say for years that he knew the Bible. And I got tired of hearing it one day because he used to always say, take care of this temple, I'm loaning you, because he was always getting on me about my weight. And I got tired of it and said, where's that in the Bible? He said, huh? (laughs) <laughs> I said, where's that in the Bible? He couldn't tell me. So he stopped saying it. Now, I knew what he was talking about because the Bible says, um, he that defiles the temple of God, him shall God destroy. But that has nothing to do with your body. That was talking about the church. You can defile or corrupt God's church through false teaching. You know, but he, did, he claimed he knew the scriptures but just didn't know what they meant. Well, Timothy was like that, and Paul took him under his wing and trained him for 12 years, and he sent him out, and he came, became the first bishop over the churches of Ephesus. So when you read the book of Timothy, he is writing to Bishop Timothy, all right? So, and this is what he tells in verse 14, let's read, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast what? Now, where did he learn them from? He learned them from Paul. Is that right? Can we say amen? The apostle Paul, didn't we just tell you? He traveled with him for 12 years, and he taught him the scriptures. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. What you have learned. Continue in what you've been taught. What you have learned. And has been assured of. Those things that have been proven to be true, proven to be right, knowing of whom thou hast what? Learn them. 
He is always to remember who he learned them from. That's why you always hear me talking about the fathers. All right? Because I'm continuing in the things which I have learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom I have learned them from. Verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy what? Scriptures. Now, what scriptures did he know? The Old Testament, because the New Testament at this time was being written. So he knew the Old Testament. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Let's read. Which are able to make thee what? Wise unto salvation through faith, which is in who? So the scriptures are designed to make us what? Wise. But how can we become wise through the scriptures? We have to learn them. Someone has got to teach us. Is that right? You have to be taught. You can't just sit at home and teach yourself. That's not learning. You have to be taught. All right? So this is what, and if Timothy, who knew the scriptures from a child, and Paul taught him, then you know then he is wise. So the more of the scriptures you know, the wiser you become. And your wisdom is demonstrated in your knowledge and understanding and in your decision making, in your discretion, all right? The reason why people make bad decisions because they don't know the scriptures. They don't understand the word of God, but he wants us to learn them. The scriptures are designed to make us wise. Let's read on. Verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that word inspiration means from the breath of God. It all came from God. Somebody said, well, men wrote the Bible. Well, they might have wrote it, but it was written by the inspiration of who? God, which means he dictated it. He dictated what to write. And that's what they wrote. That's what the Bible is. A bi the Bible is simply a collection of writings by over 42 people written over a 3,600 year period that wrote based upon what came from God's breath or his mouth. That's, that's what makes the Bible different than any other book. That's why you can't understand the Bible by just reading it. You can't get it that way. It's different than the Quran, and I've read the Quran. It's different. You know, in the Quran, you have the Sirahs, which is chapters, so on and so forth. It's different than the Book of Mormon. It's different than the Jehovah Witness Bible, which is the worst translation of the Bible that there is, if you didn't know that. It's not the same as those books, because those books came from the breath of men, but the Bible came from the breath of God. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. Let's read. And it's profitable for what? Doctrine. The word of God is profitable for doctrine. The word of God taught doctrinally is designed to keep you in the right frame of mind that God would have you to be in. It keeps you steady. It keeps you straight. It keeps you focused. For doctrine, for what else? For reproof. Is that right? What is reproof? Anybody know what reproof is? Well, reproof is kind of a little more stronger than, uh, well, it's just basically um, encouragement. And sometimes it can be rebuke. 
tell you something that you don't necessarily want to hear. Then it is for correction. It's there to correct you. Most folk that get corrected by the word of God gets mad. Now, how do you get correct by the word of God? As the pastor teaches you. As the pastor teaches you. The pastor could be up teaching the word of God. Uh, and, well, let's give you an example. So, um, you might have a saint that has been um, um, betraying somebody's trust. Somebody told you something. Now, don't tell nobody. Okay. And then you go tell the person that the individual told you not to tell that was talking about. Any of that ever happened to y'all? So Sister Funches told you something about Sister Blue. Don't say nothing. And so you, Sister Yellow, go tell Sister Blue what Sister Funches said. Now, Sister uh, Blue is upset with Sister Funches. Won't praise the Lord, whatever. Praise the Lord. They turn their neck so hard, they, they, they put a crick in their neck. So then that's going on. So then the pastor gets up and comes across the scripture, a whisperer separated chief friends. Oh. A whisper? Somebody separate chief friends. Why, why does a whisper break up friendship? Because a whisper is telling something that they were told not to tell, and they went and told the very person that the one person was talking about. And the one person, when they see him now, so the pastor gets up. A whisper is separated chief friends. Then he calls another scripture, thou should not be a talebearer among my people. Then he gets up another scripture, sowing discord among brethren, which is Bishop Paddock says the word sent in the Bible, sowing discord among the brethren. So, Sister Funches goes to Sister Yellow and said, why you tell the pastor what I do? What, what, what I said? And they get mad at the pastor. What just happened? The word of God just came forth and it brought reproof and what? Correction. Can we say amen? The word came forth to let you know what you did was wrong. And that you need to go get that straightened out. Before the rapture takes place because you won't be going in the rapture. Can we say amen? That's what the scriptures are for. Can we say amen? All right. It's just an example. For reproof, for correction, and what else is it for? For instruction in what? What is the scriptures for? Instruction in what? Righteousness. That's why when the saints come to me, I give you the scriptures because that's the instruction in what? Righteousness. Now why is he giving it to us for these things? Verse 17. That the man of God may be what? Complete, perfect, truly furnished unto what? To make us into what God wants us to be. A complete saint 
a complete child of God. So the scriptures, the doctrine of God, the word of God is there to help us to be saved. It corrects us when we're wrong, shows us about ourselves. And how come when the word of God comes, oh, that ain't me, that's talking about somebody else. When it most certainly is you. That's why we need to pray. And that's why I pray, Lord, give us an ear to hear, a heart to receive, and a mind to understand what the Spirit is saying to who? You ever hear me pray that prayer? Because it's too, many, too much word of God going forth and it's going through one ear and out the other because there appears to be nothing in the middle. And we can't be saved that way. Anytime the word comes, we need to do what the disciples did when Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, one of you shall betray me. And what did the disciples do? They went to him and said, Lord, it's not me. It's not me, Lord. Is that what they did? Y'all remember that scripture? What did they say? Lord, am I the one that's going to do it? Because you know me better than I know myself. You know what's going to happen tomorrow, next week. Am I going to do that to you, Lord? And even the devil came up to him and said, Is it I? And he said, You said it, buddy. He didn't say buddy. He would say, You said it. Thou hast said all right, that's what the scriptures are for. Now, where did we get our doctrine from? St. John chapter 7, verse 16 through 17. Where did we get the apostolic doctrine? Where did it come from? St. John chapter 17, seven, St. John chapter 7, verse 16 through 17. All right, St. John chapter 7, verse 16 through 17. Words of Jesus here. We got about 10 minutes. One, two, three, four, five, six. All right. Let's read verse 16. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. Now, who sent Jesus? God. So, this is whose doctrine? God's doctrine. So Jesus is saying, and he's speaking as a man, this doctrine is not mine. This is not man's doctrine. This is the doctrine of the one that sent me. Who sent him? God. Can we say amen? So it's the doctrine of God. Then in Hebrews chapter number six, the Bible says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Why is it called the doctrine of Christ? Because the Christ is God. Can we say amen? So first of all, it came from God. Jesus is saying, it's not mine, it's not man's doctrine. This is God's doctrine. Now there's the doctrines of men, and then there's the doctrine of devils. There's teachings established to be taught by men that impersonate the word of God, which is not. It's based upon the teachings and understandings and inspiration of man. Then there's the doctrines of devils in 1 Timothy 4 and 1, I think it is. Teachings established or inspired by the powers of darkness. All right, like the Black Lives Matter doctrine was inspired by the devil. Now we understand that lives matter, whether they're black, is that right? But you, you know, I, I'm having my daughter uh, save on our Facebook page Bishop Combs' breakdown of the Black Lives Matter. I mean, he, he threw down. He, he goes through when it started, who started it, who's supporting it. And after you listen to that, if you don't want to hear me talking about if you listen to that, you won't be saying Black Lives Matter. It's kind of funny because one of his preachers was out uh, in public saying it, and someone sent him the video. And 
<laughs> well, he, he shouldn't have told on him. No, folk tell on themselves. Is that right? Or oh, if you listen to folk long enough, they'll tell on themselves. But anyway, um, the doctrine that we have, first of all, it came from God. All right? Jesus as a, said, my doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. Verse 17. If any man will do his will. Now, whose will? The will of the one that sent him. Who is that? God. If any man will do his will or God's will, he shall know what? Of the doctrine. What will he know of the doctrine? That it is from God. Then he says, whether it be of God or whether I what? He will know whether it is God's doctrine or man's doctrine. And that's the doctrine of God. Jesus came and promoted the doctrine of God, of which we know is the doctrine of Christ, which Acts 2.42, when the 3,000 were added to the church, the Bible says, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So the apostles' doctrine is the doctrine of Christ. The doctrine of Christ is the doctrine of God. It came from God. Jesus promoted it handed it down to the apostles and it was handed down all the way down to us today and as we told you on the other day if any man will do his will he shall know of the doctrine if you do the will of God God's going to make sure you know the doctrine he's going to make sure you know his word his law he's going to make sure you know the truth about everything that you need to know the truth about so that you can remain free from error Reason why there's a whole lot of folk in error is because they're not doing the will of God. It's impossible not, it is impossible to do the will of God and not know the truth. If folk don't know the truth, they're not doing the will of God. If you do the will of God, you will always know the truth concerning things you need to know the truth about because he will make sure that you know because you are doing his will. If he wants to, you to continue to do his will, he's got to continue to let you know what the truth is. Can we say amen? If I'm going to teach the truth, I got to make sure I'm staying in the will of God so that he can continue to give me truth so that I can obey the truth and hand it down to you. That's his responsibility. All right? So it came from God through Jesus Christ. Now let's go to St. John chapter 6 uh, and verse number 45. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We're skipping ahead. St. John 17 and verse number 6. St. John chapter 17. So God gave it to Jesus and Jesus gave it to his apostles. Let's pick it up. St. John chapter 17, verse 6 through 15. This is how we got it now, y'all. All right, verse 6. Let's read. Who, who, whose words are these? Now, this is the Lord's prayer. When he prayed in the Mount of Olives before he went down to Gethsemane and prayed for three hours. See, people say the Lord's Prayer is our Father which art in heaven. That's not the Lord's Prayer. That's the disciples' prayer because they said, Lord, teach us how to pray like John taught his disciples. And so he gave them that prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer. All right. Verse number six. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Now, what name is that? 
What name did he manifest unto the men which thou, which God gave him? He gave them God's name. What name is that? Jesus, because that's the name he came in, right? He said, I'm coming my what? Father's name. That's Jesus. I have manifested thy name unto the men, which is the disciples, which thou gavest me out of the world. Let's read. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept. Whose word? So Jesus gave them God's word. Now I'm talking about him as the son of God now. All right. He gave them God's word. Verse 7. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are what? Of thee. You see, the problem today is there's a whole lot of folks speaking in behalf of God, but they're not getting it from God. <laughs> they're getting it out of the deceits, conceits, the Bible says, out of their own mind. They're getting it as they imagine it. And it's not coming from God. And that's why it's not, they're not getting the results. The results of spirituality in the life of the believer is absent because it can only come as you receive the word of God, not some word of some man. All right? Five. Uh, now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. Let's read verse 8. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didest what? In other words, I've come from the office of fatherhood to the sonship. And as I worked in the sonship, I gave them the word that was directed from the office of fatherhood. Because see, son, father and son are not persons, they are positions. So there are times when he spoke as a man, and there were times he spoke as God. And so he, as a man, as an example to us, demonstrating that what he gets from God, he is to give to God's people. Just like the New Testament pastor, we get it from God and we give it to who? The people. So he took the doctrine of God, which was his doctrine, and gave it to the apostles and he says they have kept it. Let's read on. Um, Thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou hast what? In other words, they believe that I am the Messiah. Verse 9, I pray for them. I pray not. Now, why is he praying for the world? Because the world is none of his. The world is none of his. The world don't have his doctrine. The world has not been given to him. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Well, let's start with the church dispensation. Only those saved in the church dispensation are the ones that have been given to him. All right? So he's not praying for the world. Well, should we pray for the world? What are you going to pray for the world? <laughs> pray that there be social justice. There ain't going to be none. How can you have justice without the justifier. Just, it's like talking about having peace and you ain't even inviting the king of peace. How are you going to have peace without the king of peace? How are you going to have peace without the personification of peace? You, they just fooling themselves, that's all. As long as the devil is running around, there ain't going to be no justice. Can we say amen? All right, we are out of time. 
Well, let's finish up here. Um, we just got a few more verses. Uh, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. Let's read. But for them which thou hast given me, for they are what? Thine. Verse 10. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. How is he glorified in them? By them receiving what he gave them and believing it. Let's read on. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. Now, of course, he's about to leave is what he's talking about. And he's going to leave them here in the world. Let's read. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as what? Did you know we are all included in that prayer? If you apostolic and receiving the doctrine of God, he prayed for you also right then. Let's read on verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture, what? Verse 13. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath what? Now, you want the world to love you? The world is not going to love you if you are out speaking the word of God. Can we say amen? He said the world hated them, and the world hate us because we speak to the world. Ain't no need of us trying to fit in with the world. Once you get saved, you don't fit in with the world no more. Even if you backslide and go out in the world, everybody, when they look at you, you know what they're going to see? Remember TV show that used to do that? Yeah. A square. Because <laughs> it's different now. Well, we need to finish up. All right. I've given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. Let's read. Because they are what? If you're going to be hated by the world, that means you cannot be what? Of the world. The world will hate you, but God will love you. Can we say amen? Verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the what? Evil. Verse 16. They are not of the world, even as I am what? Now we know Jesus was not from this world, right? Because Jesus was who? We're supposed to be like that too. We're supposed to be not of this world spiritually. We're not supposed to act like the world, look like the world, talk like the world, dress like the world. Can we say amen? They're supposed to be different. They're supposed to look at you and say, you different. What's different about you? Well, I got my hair done, child, and uh, no, 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 no. Just like he was not of this world. What? We're not supposed to be of this world. Let's read on. Uh, where we at? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is what? And then in verse 20, I'm going to quote this. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their what? So... God gave it to Jesus 
First of all, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that the doctrine of God was coming. It was going to drop as the rain, as the dew. Then it shows us who's going to get the doctrine, them that are weaned from the milk, and what? Drawn from the breast. Then Jesus says, the doctrine I got, I got it from God. And then he tells us that I gave it to the ones that you gave to me. I've kept all of them except the one that the scripture might be fulfilled. So now he gave it to the apostles. And on next week, we will go further and find out what the apostles did it with it. And in this Bible class series, we're going to show you what the apostles did with it, how they handed it down, and how we got it, and what we supposed to do with it. Are there any questions tonight? Any questions? All right. Okay. Well, we <laughs> yes, there are some questions. All right. Let's see if we can answer them. Um, please explain the last clause in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 11. Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment and a babbler is no better. <laughs> well, what he is using is what is called a parallelism. And he is paralleling a babbler's toward versus a serpent. A serpent will bite without enchantment. There is nothing that's going to make a serpent bite. He's just going to bite because that's just what he is. You get too close, close enough, and one of the saints had, had a serpent in their house. Thank God. He worked. But... A serpent will bite because that is what they do. All right. Uh, then he says, and I lost the verse. Oh, and a babbler is no better. A babbler is no better than a serpent biting. Just as a serpent bites, a babbler is going to babble. What is babbling? Endless, empty talk and gossip. Y'all know anybody like that? Just babble on and on and on and on. Did I read the right scripture? Or did I read the wrong one? I read the wrong one. All right. I'm sorry. Ecclesiastes 9 11. Well, at least we got some information on that one, didn't we? Uh, verse 11. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift. Is that the right one? Nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. Now what he is saying here is that anything can happen to anybody, regardless if they are running a race that is swift, just because you are swift in running does not mean that chance cannot catch you. And just because you are strong in battle doesn't mean that chance cannot get you. Just because uh, neither yet bread to the wise, just because you are bountiful in giving um, bread, or it says neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, doesn't just because you have great understanding that is able to bring about great riches, 
or yet favor to men of skill. Just because you are a skillful person and you get favor, that does not negate the fact that time and chance can happen to you. You can die in a car accident just like anybody else. You can die of a heart attack just like anybody else. You can die of cancer just like anybody else. It can happen to anyone. Time and chance happens to them all. Now we want to express our condolences to uh, one bishop, I forgot his name, that passed, who was the general secretary of the Pentecostal churches of the apostolic faith. We want to extend our condolences to that family, to that organization. But like the scripture says, it is appointed unto men, what? Once to die. Because time and chance happeneth, what? To us all. What happens to us is not based upon how wise we are, or how skillful we are, or how strong we are. If it is time for us to go, it's time. Time and chance happeneth what? To us all, all right? We hope that gives you understanding. If a couple gets married before a conceived child is born, that's what we hope that happens, is that right? <laughs> is that child still born out of wedlock? Well, if a, if a couple gets married before a conceived child is born, is that child still born out of wedlock? Well, we will say it's conceived, all right, out of wedlock. Because you can get married before the child is born, but it has been conceived out of wedlock. It's still fornication. Still fornication, all right? What does it mean when people say, don't tempt God? Well, give me an example. Um, he said in the book of Numbers that um, God said, you have tempted me these 10 times. Questioning whether God can do something. When Israel came out of the wilderness and they needed water, they said, can God give us water out of the run? Can God provide us water out here? Uh, even though he brought the ten plagues upon the Egyptians, they questioned whether or not he can provide them water in the wilderness. Then, once they got water, of course, I might not be saying it all in direct order, they said, we need some food to eat out here, and then, can God provide a table in the wilderness? And he fed them with manna from on high. Then they said, well, can God provide us meat? In Egypt, we had all this and that. Can God furnish us with meat? And your Bible says in the Psalms, he broke open the heads of the sea crocodiles and rained that meat three feet in their camp. And so they had meat. So tempting God is, number one, questioning as to what he can do when he has already proven himself that he is able to do anything. Another way of tempting God is that um, if you are supposed to be saved and you saying, well, I'm saved, I can go to the bar, and you go to the bar trusting in your own self. I'm not going to drink any liquor while you ordered scotch on rocks. I'm not going to drink it. I'm just going to look at it. And then you're pouring it in the glass and say, I ain't going to drink it. And you're taking the plastic off. 
I'm not going to drink it. And then you hold it up and say, don't it look good? And then you twirl it around. I think that's what you do with wine, isn't it? Now, don't look at me like I just had some last night. Tempting God is trying him for him to prove to you that he's God. Remember when Jesus was tempted and the devil told him, won't you jump off this mountain? Because the Bible says he will give his angels charge over thee. They shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, thou shalt not tempt who? You ever seen these Pentecostals throwing snakes around? That's tempting who? God. That's a sin. Yes, the next one. How is it that some saints have been saved for years and still on milk and not meat? Well, there is a number of issues along with that. Maybe they're in a place that is not being provided meat for them, or if they're still on milk and not meat, something is wrong with, your spiritual, with their spiritual development. Because the scripture says in the fifth chapter of Hebrews, when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you need to be what? Taught all over again. And why do they need to be taught all over again? Well, in the second chapter of Hebrews, he said, let us give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any times we should let them what? Slip. So it could be because of the leadership that they're under, all that leader may know is milk. And if it is not the leader's fault, it could be because they have let some things slip or they're not doing their diligence to take heed to what is being taught. So there's a number of factors that can go into that. Now, God wants us to grow up healthy. Is that right? And so in order to be healthy, you have to progress spiritually. But one of the main reasons is that there's just not much word of God being preached and taught today. Everything is shallow. Everything is socialistic. Not very much Jesus being preached or taught. Everything is just shallow a lot of times because the minister have not applied themselves in their formative years of study and they don't really know too much of nothing other than one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. All right? Please explain 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 19. I appreciate all y'all patience. As we ask these questions, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 19. All right, try to answer that. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What? First of all, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which simply is saying that the Holy Ghost is dwelling in your body. All right? If you have the Holy Ghost, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, that simply means that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your temple is your body, and the Holy Ghost is living inside of you. All right. In this scripture, it lets you know that we as individuals are temples. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it lets you know there that the whole church is a temple. But here it personifies it. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? What does it mean that we're not our own? He says, for ye are bought with a price. 
That means that he paid the price for our redemption, salvation, and he belongs to us and we belong to him. That's what the word Christian means. It means to belong or owned by Christ. And once we have received salvation, he lives in us. We are in him. He is in us. We belong to him. Uh, and he is mine. Like that song, Jesus is mine. You remember that song? Everywhere I go. I might sing that Sunday. Any more questions? Any questions on the floor? All right. God bless you. Thank you for your attention. This time we're going to take our offering. Thank you.